Hello, and welcome to Thrive with Shirlane McRae. Staying home can help keep us all safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. But what do you do when home is not a safe place? I heard uh, one survivor saying that there's like a, a photo that can be seen through their window. And if they've taken that photo down, that was a signal for somebody else to intervene. So many people and families are touched by domestic violence. So I want everyone listening to remember, there is always hope. You can find your way to safety, healing, and peace. If you don't believe me, then take it from someone who's been there. Hello, my name is Doreen, and I'm a domestic violence survivor. I was mentally and physically abused by my ex-partner. He was very controlling and jealous. The situation escalated. Threats turned to smacks across my face, smacks turned to punches. Some of you might be feeling isolated because of COVID-19 and the new norm of social distancing and staying at home. You might be feeling trapped and unsafe in your own home with the abuser. Maybe you're scared for yourself. If you have children, you're scared for them. The situation is escalating and you want to escape. But with COVID-19 and the uncertainties, you don't know if you can escape. I want you to know that you are not alone. There's help. You can get help. You can have a new beginning and a better tomorrow. If you can't be strong, be brave. Let somebody help you. I got tired of being strong, so I got brave. I went and got help. And now I'm out of that abusive situation. Now I am safe. Thank you, Doreen, for sharing your story of resilience and courage with other New Yorkers. Stories like yours have the power to change lives. In New York City, help is always available, pandemic or no pandemic. That includes our domestic violence hotline, 1-800-621-HOPE. That's 1-800-621-4673. Our new guests have been in the fight for a long time and are here to share information about support and services that are available. Our guest today, Cecile Noel, currently serves as commissioner of the mayor's office to end domestic violence and gender-based violence. We call it NGBV. Her job is to bring together different city agencies and community stakeholders around this issue while also operating our family justice centers in each borough, which serve over 2,300 clients per month. Our second guest, Kelly Coyne, currently serves as the Deputy Chief Program Officer at Safe Horizon, which is the nation's leading victim services agency, serving over 250,000 survivors. Their shelters provide safety for survivors of domestic violence and help for young people living on the streets, often dealing with their own trauma. In addition to providing trauma counseling services, Safe Horizons Domestic Violence Law Project and Immigration Law Project provide legal assistance to survivors. So my first question today is for you, Commissioner Noel. If someone is hurt by their partner, what should they do? Could, can they go to a hospital, even with the risks from COVID-19? Even with the risk from COVID-19, it's really important that survivors reach out for help if they need it. If they need health care, they should seek out health care. Hospitals are still open and, and medical care is still being provided. So it's important that they reach out, call 911 if they're in danger, or seek out medical services if they need it. But Commissioner Ken, survivors feel confident that if they call 911 or they call 311 or another number that, that they're going to have 
someone address their needs and their concerns with, with under, that kind of understanding and compassion? Do people get that kind of training? Yes, they do. And we are fortunate to live in a city that really understands the importance of really engaging in um, uh, engaging with community providers who really understand it and investing in these community providers so that advocacy and legal services and so many of these other services can be provided. And so, yes, they should be reaching out to help and understanding that someone on the other end of that line really will be able to help them if they're calling a hotline or an FJC or a community provider. We all understand these issues very, very well and can help navigate the systems. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and the services that are available? Uh, I'd like to know more about uh, DV services, domestic violence services for LGBTQ people. Many people don't think about um, the LGBTQ population when we start talking about uh, gender violence. Um, and we don't think necessarily about people who are undocumented. But of course, um, domestic violence is something you can find in any home. Are there special provisions made for these populations or for, for women who, are, who have children uh, or pregnant women? What is available out there? Well, New York City has a rich network of domestic violence services that are all up and running. Our domestic violence shelters are open and they can be accessed through the hotline. Our community-based providers are opening and, and, and operating remotely. Family justice centers are operating virtually and answering calls. Uh, Monday through Friday from nine to five and connecting our clients to community-based providers who do case management and legal consultations and help with housing and shelter and help just navigating the criminal justice system. These services are for all survivors, including uh, vulnerable populations who often face additional barriers in reaching out for help. Our services are free and they're confidential regardless of immigration status, language, gender identity, and expression. And we work with um, community-based providers that often specialize in working with immigrant population who specialize with working with LGBTQ survivors so that those advocates are well-versed in both the issues and the services that can be available for these survivors. We're in the middle of a, a, a pandemic, something that we have never, ever seen. Um, we've never had a crisis like this that has affected so many people. And of course, our domestic violence shelters are affected as well. How are they able to manage with the threat of COVID-19 being everywhere? Yeah, you know, it, it truly is a challenging time for shelters and particularly uh, domestic violence shelters. The New York State Office for Children and Families and the New York City Human Resources Administration provides oversight for domestic violence shelters. And they have issued specific COVID guidance for both shelter residents and staff to ensure uh, health and safety during this time. New York City domestic violence shelters are open. I need everyone to hear that. And if you need services, you should be reaching out to our, our 24 hour New York City uh, domestic violence hotline to get connected to a shelter or reach out to our family justice centers.
Ms. Coyne, you help run the nation's leading victim services agency. How are your shelters managing? Yeah, sort of like the commissioner said, this is a, an unprecedented um, pandemic that we are experiencing, but we are getting great support from both our city and state partners. Um, we, as soon as we heard about this crisis, um, us, like many other providers, immediately, but you know, sort of dusted off those disaster plans, um, uh, pulled those out, and started looking at um, all of the policies around our uh, around our facilities around cleaning. We started meeting immediately with survivors to talk about safety planning. Um, particular to keeping themselves and their families safe from COVID. Um, the provider community is reaching out to one another and sort of sharing best practices and tips. And so I've been so impressed by our community's ability to pivot really quickly to respond to this crisis um, and continue showing up for our clients to ensure that survivors and their children have a safe place to be during this pandemic. Thank you, Ms. Cannon. I'm so glad to hear about all of this planning. I just want to repeat that the, the 24-hour domestic violence hotline number. It's 1-800-621-4673. This is 24 hours. Uh, it's available 24 hours. 1-800-621-4673 for anyone who's in a domestic violence situation. With the number of coronavirus cases rising so quickly, it's unsettling everyone. The mandate to stay home is especially distressing for survivors of gender-based violence because home may not be a place of safety or, or comfort. Many people are sheltering in place with an abuser, and that abuser might be a spouse, a roommate, family member. So let me start by saying, if you're in that situation, you are not alone. There's always help and there's always hope. Anyone can call for free this number, 1-888-NYC-WELL, for mental health support and for a multitude of other services, anyone can call 311. Ms. Coyne, I'm really, really impressed to, to hear that you, you had a plan. You had a plan in advance of COVID-19. How is it working? And, and do you have any additional thoughts about what we're learning and what we can improve going forward? Yes, um, there are uh, so many things that we could talk about around this. One um, example of something that I think is really working that I would love to see move forward in the post-COVID world is we've been able to be reimbursed for tele, um, telehealth, uh, mental health appointments right now. And we are seeing those services really go up right now. Um, that it's been a really great way to be able to meet the needs of survivors who are still having to shelter in place and didn't want to lose sort of the progress and relationship that they've made um, with their therapist. So it's been something that we've been really pleased that we were able to work um, with both city and state um, and, and really federal regulators to get that process in place. Um, in terms of our disaster plans, uh, many of them did not plan, as you might imagine, for a worldwide pandemic. And so we were able to take what we've learned through disasters like 9-11, Hurricane Sandy, and take what worked during those disasters and adapt them um, to this particular uh, situation. And so uh, we're finding that pre-planning has uh, really been helpful to carry us through. So we're doing things like if us... Um, clients are exhibiting symptoms, we're arranging food um, delivery for them so that they don't have to come in and out 
of, of their space to meet that basic need. Um, we have moved support groups to virtual support groups so that clients are still able to connect with one another um, and still get their needs met around, um, you know, being a survivor, being in shelter and sort of managing through. Um, and so we're meeting daily as a team talking about what's working, what's not working, what are clients needing, what do the staff need, um, and are remaining really, uh, I guess I, the one word I'd use is flexibility is the key right now. Um, communication and flexibility is what's helping everybody get through is what we thought was true last week may have changed for this week. And so we're pivoting um, as we receive new feedback from staff and clients about what they need to manage at this time. So, Ms. Coyne, you're telling me that um, your clients are able to maintain social distancing. They're able to get food and supplies and continue with their telemental health services um, or therapy sessions using telemental health um, all during this epidemic in the shelter. Yes, it's been, um, and many providers across the city are doing um, very similar things. We've all been in a lot of contact um, with one another, but our goal was to um, be as least disruptive to clients as we can be while maintaining the health and safety of both the staff and the families that we serve. And our staff have just been absolutely creative. Um, clients have helped us come up with, here's what would be helpful for me during this time, um, getting the uh, um, Tablets and laptops from DOE has been incredibly helpful so that our kids can stay um, on track with their learning. So it's just been a really, um, in the midst of sort of a really scary time for a lot of people, seeing the dedication and the creativity and the partnership of both staff, clients, and then our city and state partners has been um, the silver lining of hope uh, for this whole thing. I would think that it would be very reassuring for those who are in the shelter to know that, that you've got their back. Um, and and children, especially with children being able to continue online learning, having something to do, and and uh, in, in a situation like that, Commissioner Well, the healthcare system in the United States has been broken, is broken, and savagely unequal after COVID nineteen. And yes, I know we will get through this. There will be an after COVID nineteen. How can we take the lessons we're learning to improve government and system-wide healthcare responses? And what does that look like on the ground? Absolutely. We will get through this. And what I hope that we will have learned from COVID-19 is that the inequity of our system is only intensified during times of crisis. Vulnerable populations often become further marginalized and isolated during crisis. Our response plans, as we look at those plans and develop them as a city and think about all of the lessons learned, needs to address not only the public health emergency, but must also address the crisis response policies that impact vulnerable populations to ensure that their needs are met. We need to be planning with these populations in mind. And that's pivotal for our city's overall response and to ensure that that safety net that we create in response to this is really as robust as we can make it. That is so true. Um, those who are hurting already tend to have a much harder time in, in any crisis. Are there some specific situations that, that make people especially vulnerable? You know, we, we're in this situation right now with COVID-19, but um, I, I suppose that there are some other situations that 
that put people in a vulnerable position? Absolutely. Um, immigration status is often one. Sometimes undocumented survivors feel that they can't come forward for fear that they will be reported or that someone might, um, might say something about them seeking services. So we need to understand that immigration status is often a vulnerability. The language that you speak, because it's so important to be able to communicate and talk about what's going on to someone who understands your who speaks your language. Uh, gender, gender identity and expression is often another issue. Again, LGBTQ survivors um, have um, experiences and they need to be able to know that they're sharing that with advocates who understand what they're going through and be able to help them navigate situations. And also socioeconomics, you know, the fact that you don't have the income that you need to be able to make certain choices will impact the, the decision-making and options. But what's so important to understand is within all of those areas, we're able to work with survivors, that there's services that are available if you just reach out. Commissioner Noel, are there financial supports for domestic violence survivors? Yes, uh, survivors can apply for public assistance and now that can be done online. Um, the advocates at the FJC can help walk uh, survivors through this process and help them understand the rules, um, the regulations, understand which rules have been waived because of COVID and, and many um, uh, documentation rules have been waived in, in, uh, in light of COVID. Uh, some CBOs may also have access to emergency funding sources. So it really depends on your situation. And that's why it's so important to reach out and speak with an advocate who will be able to actually talk about your issues very specifically and help to address them um, with you and, and able to just examine the, uh, the options available. In New York City, help is always available, pandemic or no pandemic. That includes our 24-hour domestic violence hotline, 1-800-621-HOPE. That's 1-800-621-4673. Um, I have a different question for you. Ms. Coyne, while sheltering in place, uh, people who are in, in their own homes, um, there are families, there are couples who have previously experienced violence and feel like they're okay, but they want to stay okay. But because they're sheltering in place, there are additional pressures being placed on them. Do you have any tips for them? Yeah, it's such a great question. I think many of us are experiencing an increase in our stress and anxiety level right now. Myself, I'm trying to work full time and homeschool my eight and a half year old. And every day, <laughs> that's a new challenge, right? Yes. Um, and our families are not any different from that. And so what some of those tips are, is I would really encourage people to think about what's worked for them in the past. Right. So if they had they had experienced DV in the past and have currently been living more safely, I'd want them to be thinking about what are those things that they learned or that they've been doing that have helped to keep them safe during that time. Um, I think if it's something that they can safely talk to their partner about, if they openly communicate about the past DV, they could lay it out and sort of say, I'm worried that this could resurface. What strategies do we have? If that's a conversation that they can have 
um, safely. Um, if that's not a conversation that they can have safely, I think they can start doing some safety planning with themselves and their kids around, are there different places in their um, house or apartment that they could go to if things start becoming um, more stressful or are there um, code words or or signals that they could provide to a neighbor or a friend, either via text, through a window, a special knock on the wall um, to let people know who might be around if things are escalating and they might need them to call 911 on their behalf. Um, but really, I think this is a time that for all of us to remember, um, many of us have experienced extreme stress at other parts of our life and to think about what has worked for us during those times and what of those that sort of toolkit could we, um, you know, sort of what tools can we take out from that um, from our past learnings to see um, what might be working for us at the time. Oh, that is great advice. I think everyone needs to have uh, a toolkit, a support plan um, like that. I think it's so helpful to have someone to talk to, a place to go, um, because feelings can run hot in a situation where people are combined. What if a person has COVID-19 symptoms but won't take it seriously and won't socially distance from their partner, or if there are children present, uh, won't socially distance from them? How do they manage? I think what's interesting about this is this is actually something that we're starting to hear from some of our survivors. So this isn't quite the hypothetical question that, um, that it may have felt like a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that we've been talking to survivors about is thinking about the things that they can control. Um, and the things that we sort of know from a public health perspective that, um, you know, plenty of fluids, rest, lots of hand washing, um, trying to avoid touching uh, your face and other parts of your body. And so I think um, if you have a partner, like it's not always safe for survivors to be able to say, you know, to stand up to their abusive partner to tell them something to do. Um, so they may need to have conversations with their um, with obviously themselves or with their children to think about the ways that they can help mitigate that risk, uh, despite the behavior of somebody else. Um, and so, you know, really in, you know, sort of doubling down on the ways that you can help keep your body safe, um, even, even during this crisis. Mm. When you mentioned some tips earlier that I had never heard before, um, when an exit plan isn't feasible, and we're certainly in that situation now when people feel like they can't even, they can't even necessarily uh, leave their homes, what should victims do when, they're, when a, an exit plan isn't feasible and they don't have any privacy? From our experience, survivors, especially survivors that are living at home or are still in contact with the person that's been causing them harm, they really think about viable safety plans all the time to help keep themselves and their kids um, safe. And I think what you're highlighting right now is that a lot of times our brains go to sort of systems responses, you know, shelter, 911, FJCs, which are all vital resources for clients. And that we, as we keep saying, are still available options for folks, even in the middle of this pandemic. But also, I think folks can start thinking about what other tools they have. We sort of talked before, we were talking to a survivor earlier this week who's developed a special knock with their neighbor. Mm -hmm. um, that they could do on a wall, and that would be the signal for the neighbor to either um, contact 911 or whatever the rest of their sort of plan um, was. They could talk to friends and family um, about other sheltering options if they didn't want to leave their home and come into 
um, one of the city's shelters. And so I think it's people getting, I heard uh, one survivor saying that there's like a, a photo that can be seen through their window. And if they've taken that photo down, that was a signal for somebody else to intervene. Um, and so I think there's a unique ways in which people are have been managing their safety prior to COVID and that will continue doing that. Because the unfortunate reality is with this pandemic or without, there are many survivors who are still in contact or living with their abusive partners. And so they've been working out these strategies for a long time um, and are going to have to continue to rely on some of those things um, if and when things become more dangerous during that time. Ms. Coyne, in addition to exit plans, do you have any other advice to those living with an abuser? I mean, it's a really, like, I, I think what I would like to say is to someone who is listening to this is, um, all of the resources that the commissioner um, listed before and that we've been talking about, um, advocates understand uh, that survivors are still in contact uh, with the people who've caused them harm or might still be living with the person for any number of reasons. Financial reasons, love, um, housing is hard to come by in New York City. Like, There's any number of reasons and we understand that. And so that they can reach out to any one of those places that we've described without having to feel shame. The first question we're going to ask, we are not going to ask, like, why are you still with that person? And so they don't have to be figuring this out alone that I've heard from some survivors where they've said, I didn't feel like I could reach out because I was afraid somebody was going to judge a decision that I've made um, in my life. And I, I think what I'd want folks to know is like, we understand that and survivors have to make a lot of trade-offs to maintain their safety. Um, and so they may choose housing stability over their physical safety, right? Because if they stay in this apartment, then they're, they might think, you know, their children are housed. So we, we sort of get that dynamic um, and are still here to help people talk and navigate, uh, navigate their safety through this crisis. Commissioner, I'm not sure if you would have more things you wanted to add to that. No, I would complete, uh, uh, completely agree that that's how we approach it. And we really do want to understand that the survivor knows best. The person living in this um, really knows their life situation better than anyone else. And I think Kelly said it really well. They've learned how to manage and we need to hear that and respect that and work with them within that context by providing uh, uh, listening and also providing uh, support where we can. But that's what's critical to ensuring their safety. Do survivors of know that they can talk with um, people on these call lines with total confidentiality about their feelings without anyone getting involved officially? We try to say that in every environment uh, that we get to, is it really encourage people to call uh, the 800-621-HOPE line. Um, the, there are advocates that are there. They don't have to have a reason to call. It doesn't have to be specific to a shelter request. They could just call and get some advice. They could call to talk about I'm having these sort of feelings around my safety right now that I really want to process through. Um, most, many of the callers that call the hotline never give us any information about them. The call is anonymous that they're just sort of testing out some information. Um, and so it's a really safe way for people to call, sort of process what they're going through, um, get some advice if they're not quite ready to be 
um, identified. So we, you know, we're really boosting on social media right now on all of our channels um, that both that and our safe chat are open, that people can reach out um, and no official ball has to sort of get rolling. How can neighbors, friends, and families stay aware and vigilant of possible cases of domestic violence? What if they know, what if I know of someone who who may be having a, a problem in their home? Uh, what do I do, Commissioner Noel? How do I, how can I be helpful? In this time of a crisis, it's so important to stay connected. And we like to say we would like folks to be an upstander. If you, if you know of a survivor, you need to let them know that they're not alone. Sometimes a kind word can go a long way in letting a survivor know that you care. It's important to learn about the resources that are available and to share that information. Resources like the FJC and the, uh, the Family Justice Centers and uh, the New York City Domestic Violence Hotline, our, our, our online resources found in NYC Hope and NYC Well. But it's also really critical to remember that we shouldn't, that, that don't assume that you know what to do. We should always be guided by what the survivor wants and respect their choices um, and ask, what do you think and how can I be helpful? How can, how can I help you? That is really critical. Survivors understand the risk and they understand their situations better than anyone else. And we should be guided by that. So I like that. I think that's something that any one of us can do uh, without putting ourselves in danger. Just ask someone, like, what, what can I do to help? Um, right? What can I yes. do? Uh, I like that very much. Thank you so much. I want to thank our guests. Commissioner Cecile Noel and Ms. Kelly Coyne, who are both here to remind us that there is always help and there is always hope. Our New York City domestic violence shelters are open and that there is always a place to reach out. We have a 24-7 helpline, 1-888-NYC-WELL. Anyone can call for free and receive mental health support. Anyone can call 311. And anyone can call New York City's 24-hour domestic violence hotline at 1-800-621-4673. Don't wait. Reach out now. If you're in a troubling situation, there is always someone that you can talk to. 